along on page 10 of our worship folder, or Philemon, which is one big chapter. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that... Your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted for you from a while, for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even for your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are, as Angus rightly put it, in a series called One Hit Wonders, where we're talking about Books in the Bible that just happen to be one chapter only. Powerful verses. Powerful chapters. And so we'll be looking today at Philemon and then 2 John and 3 John later in this month. Recently, I have been watching a TV show called Irreverent. 
Now, Irreverent is a TV show about a Chicago mobster who steals money from his bosses, one point something million, and to get away so he doesn't get caught, he jumps on a plane from Chicago that's going to land in Brisbane. And in that, he also happens to sit next to an Anglican priest who is being called to a small parish in Clump, Queensland, in northern, which is not a real town, by the way, I looked it up, but in, in northern Queensland. And that priest is taking over this small parish that's there. They end up talking, and what ends up happening in different ways is the priest steals the one point something million from the mobster because he has just found out that his wife is leaving him, the priest has, on the way to the airport. And he's going to live his own life now, and the priest has got to figure out what he's going to do. So he wants to figure out how to get the money back. But the best way to do that is to assume the identity of the priest and to go to Clump and to become the priest of this parish while he figures out how to track down the guy that's stolen his money, the money that he's stolen. It's very convoluted, but it's a way to get an American in a small Queensland town who's a mobster playing a priest. Now, following all of the most traditional sort of tropes that there are, this mobster, of course, has a heart of gold. And he can't help while he's trying to track down the stolen money that he has and plan the demise of the priest that's stolen it from him to do good things in this small little town of Clump because people need help. And of course, who better not to help them but a mobster? In one particular episode, he realizes that the church is about to be sold because it doesn't really have anybody coming to it. And it's better for the the church to sell it, to get the money, uh, to put in its coffers for other larger parishes. And it gives the ability for the town then maybe to have a small retreat hotel or something to bring more people to clump. So there's this group of people that are wanting that to happen. And so the arch... Bishop comes out and says, unless you raise the attendance, I'm going to have to shut this down. Now, he doesn't know anything about anything. I mean, he knows a lot about a lot of stuff, but not anything about anything about church. But he realizes that he has to get people in, and he hears of this one particular family who hasn't been to church in a long time, and he decides to go see them. So he goes out and he talks to the matriarch, the person who sort of runs the family, and he finds out that they would love to come back to church. And he's super excited. And she said, I tell you what, if you get rid of old man Duncan, all of the Spencer clan will be back. And he goes, the Spencer clan, how many people is that? And it's like 38 people. And he's like, okay, I've just got to get Duncan not to come to church, right? I've got to get Duncan. And so he goes and he tells Duncan, I need you not to come. You know, you come every Sunday. It would be okay if you missed some, you know? Like, why, why do you need to be there every Sunday? And he says, well, after Jesus saved my life, I knew I needed to be there. That's awesome, right? After Jesus saved my life, I knew that I needed to be at church every Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. That's not, it's not this sermon. That's just what was written in this, this TV show. 
And he goes, well, how did Jesus save his life? Because he doesn't know, right? And he says, well, I was walking on the beach and I saw this man with a beard, okay, in northern Queensland. And this guy, we talked about fishing and carpentry. And then he pointed out a spot at my nose and said I needed to get it looked at. We caught cancer early. It saved my life. So I knew Jesus told me to go. So I, I've been every Sunday. And he's like, but, but one Sunday would be not bad, right? And he said, no, I can't do it. So he's got to figure out what's going on here. Because... Lady Spencer has said about Duncan that he's of the devil. Well, what we find out is that yonks ago, the Duncans had a prized bull, and the Spencers had a cattle herd. And the prized bull jumped over the fence and shared his love with all of the cattle. And then there was a huge disagreement about who owned the product of that love. Whether it was those that owned the bull or those that owned the cattle. And then from there, there were other reasons and other fights and little quibbles. But in this small little town of Clump and the surrounding areas, two well-known, respected families had not seen eye to eye for Years, so much so that they wouldn't even go into the same buildings. That so much so that the one who wanted to go to church wouldn't go to church because the one who goes to church because they'd been saved is there. So I can't be in the same space as him. And it got me thinking. Do I have anybody that I would not want to be in a building with? Is there someone that if I'm walking down the streets of Frio and I see them walking my way, I think I'll just dunk into this little op shop here until they pass on by. That way I don't have to have an encounter with them. Perhaps it's somebody that's I've got to jump into the side room of my house because that person I don't want to walk, talk to is walking down the hallway. I think all of us at some point in our lives in some places have had relationships that have been good relationships or okay relationships and then there's been something that's happened and we might not even remember what the kernel of it is, but we know that we no longer want to be in relationship with that person. We know that there should not be in their action because it will hurt us or it could hurt them. And so it's just better to, to forgive and forget, to, to move beyond, to not look back. I mean, we're being Christian after all. We're not holding grudges in that way. Well, there's a story going on here in this one chapter, this most personal of letters that Paul is writing that for whatever reason, God said, yes, I want this to be in my book. I want this to be in the library that I give to people so that they can know who I am and how I engage with humanity, how my search and steadfast love brings them back into relationship. And there are really three main characters in this letter. 
there, there's a few other people that are mentioned, but we should probably point out the three main characters before we kind of see what we can learn about relationships and how they can be restored through faith and love. The first one is Philemon. Now, that's who it's addressed to. Now, in Philemon, we see a man who is uh, full of faith and love, it says. It's there in verse 5. I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all of the saints. Philemon is obviously a person who is active in ministry, doing things within the kingdom of God because Paul prays that the faith may become effective for the full knowledge of everything that is good. And then Paul says this, Philemon, you are a person who brings me great joy. I derive much joy and comfort from your love. That it refreshes him. So when we think of Philemon, we think of someone who is deeply rooted in the faith, loving Christ, recognizing his own salvation comes from that, and actively involved in telling others about this great love. And then we have Paul. Paul acknowledges that he's an old man now. So in some ways, he's saying, I'm getting worn out by this. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. He also lets us know that he is one who is still actively involved in seeing people come to faith in Christ. Because we see that about Onesimus. He basically says, I've given birth to him, which is really cool. Uh, The ESV does a, a bit of a trick and says, father. The Greek word really is I'm his mother. They just don't want to show it that way for some reason. It says, I've given birth to him. Mm. And, and then he lets us know that I am also a partner of yours, Philemon. Right? He says to him, if you consider me what? Your partner. So here he is, the apostle Paul saying, I am a partner with you, Philemon. We are working together. He recognizes his place. And says, I want to be with you, beside you. We are co-laborers in this. And then the third person is Onesimus. And it's probably the person we know the least about on a personal level. We hear lots of things that Paul says about him that he says very heart. Onesimus is his very heart. There's a deep love for him. That he's helpful. Onesimus means useful. Lots of bond servants and slaves at that time were renamed Onesimus. You are useful to us. But at some point, he becomes useless. He walks away from the call of his name. Now, we don't know why that is. We, we don't know if he runs off. We don't know if he steals something and runs off. We just know that at one point he was with Philemon and now he is not. And somehow in between him leaving Philemon and the place that we are now in this book, he's had an encounter with Paul. So much so that Paul has brought him in to his household, has brought him into the inner circle, has even made him his son. You are my heart. Now what we can assume though because of what we know about Philemon, 
is that Philemon was not treating Onesimus in such a way that would give him reason to leave. Right? That, that, that Philemon was not uh, being cruel or unusually um, hurtful to Onesimus. What we also know is that at one point, Onesimus didn't know the love of God. But then after his encounter with, with Paul, he does. There's something that's changed. So there's the three people. And then what we see happening here is Paul reminding Philemon that because you're a person filled with faith and love, I'm going to put that to the ultimate test. I'm going to send someone back to you who has hurt you. I'm going to send someone back to you that if you saw them walking down the street, you might duck into a store to avoid the conflict that might be happening. I'm going to send somebody back to you and I'm going to ask you to receive them as a new person. Not as who they were, useless, but I want you to now see them again as useful. And he says, you'll only do that because you are a person of faith and love. That's the reason why he says, I'm confident that you're going to do this. I know that you'll do even beyond this. Why? Because Philemon, I know you are a person of faith and love. Now, go back. Think of the people that you avoid. Think of those who have injured you or hurt you. I want to make a point of clarity. There's this section here where we see Philemon and Onesimus and we recognize that clearly Philemon has not treated Onesimus wrong. We also see that Paul is not saying, I'm sending him back as a bondservant. He's sending him back as more than that, as a brother. That's what he tells him. Now, that means that there must be a conversation that has to take place between Philemon and Onesimus to go, what's my role here now? What does it look like? We don't know. We don't know if he comes back and he says, now that you're my brother, I can no longer have you as a bondservant. We don't know if Philemon, uh, if Onesimus comes back and says, because I was a bondservant, I'll continue to be your bondservant, even though now I am in Christ. But what we do know is that both men now must look at each other in the identity that they have in Christ first and foremost. That it is only because they both now have, are claimed in the love of Christ that they are able to move towards one another in this way. So there's two important things for us to see in this. Someone who has been changed and transformed by the love of Christ becomes our brother and sister if we too have been transformed. That becomes their first identity to us. Someone who has not yet been there, has not yet heard the call, will struggle in moving in grace and truth. 
I say that because we who are in Christ struggle with moving in grace and truth. I'm not saying it's impossible for them not to. I'm saying that by God's common grace, he might pour that out on them and it will be a reciprocal sort of a overflowingness that happens to them. But not a deep wellspring from within them that's causing it to happen. And so what we recognize when we're called to restore relationships is that we both must value that restoration coming not externally, but internally. That God changes our hearts so that we can move towards one another. And only God has the power to do that. As much as I'd like to change my heart, it's almost as hard as me changing my waistline. It's a struggle. But God will do it. It's the first thing. The second thing we recognize is that both people were able to engage with one another because they both rested in love and faith. What that means to us is this. We might have some broken relationships. We might have some places where we have been separated from some other person who is still carrying the identity of God, the image of God within them, right? However... It is unsafe and not good for us to be in a physical proximity relationship with them. There maybe is no place that we can have a physical restoration with that person. You can maybe think of different things in your head. If someone is abusive, hear me. It is not safe. To be in relationship with them. If there is someone who is manipulative and always looking to change you, a a narcissist that only wants for them but has no concern for you, proximity in relationship will be damaging. However, you are called, if you are in Christ, to be restored to them. So what does that look like? Well, what can happen for us in those broken relationships is that person that is in conflict with us becomes the one who is in the center of our heart and our minds, right? We begin to put them and elevate them in a place that holds way too much power than we should ever give them. That we're always concerned with, are we going to bump into them? Are we going to see them? What are they telling other people? How is this being read by those who are out there? I just hate them and wish they would die. And at that point, that person begins to overshadow the grace and mercy and love of God. And so for us who have those type of relationships, those people that we need to be restored to because we're called by God to be those who are reconcilers. See, we remember in 2 Corinthians, and I'm sure Paul remembers this, and I'm sure Philemon remembers this, that in 2 Corinthians he reminds us that Christ came to reconcile all to himself and then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That we're called to be ambassadors that bring people in, which means we must be reconciled. 
Ephesians 2 reminds us that God, through Christ, has preached peace to those who are far off and those who are near. So he has put to death, it says, hostility. And so there's a place for us when we have that type of relationship and we're called to be reconciled to them that we must move through the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive. Not to engage. Not even to forget. Because only God can do that. We are called to forgive. And by forgiving that person, even before they come to the realization of how broken they are and how broken they have made our relationship, even before they realize their need to repent, if we move to a place of forgiveness, it takes them from being the core of our hearts and moves them out of that place because the only way that we can forgive is by placing Jesus back into the core of it. The only way that we're able to move in that restorative way is to say only in Christ, that faith and love, am I able to move in this way. And so I seek first Christ in that relationship. Knowing and hoping and praying that at some point that person might see the wrong that they've done and repent. And that in and of itself might be a huge step for you. Because like I said, you might be at the place where you just want them dead. So just think, if you were able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to think of that person and move them from that place of death to waking up. Just, I want them dead. To know I want them alive so they might wake up. Wake up to see the hurt that they've caused. Wake up to see the trauma that they've brought. Wake up to see the brokenness that is around them. Wake up to hear God's loving voice calling them. Wake up and move and become my brother and sister. Maybe still that I never have a physical moment with. but that I know and believe has been brought in to complete wholeness that only Christ can do. Think about that. That's what Paul's saying. This man did something to offend you and hurt you. I'm sending him back to you. I trust that you will accept him more than I'm even asking you to do. How amazing is that? And it is only because the one who comes. It's only because Christ set that precedent. It's only because God in Christ said, I want my enemies to be my children. And so I will come to you and I will bring you in. And so it's more than us just believing this. It's putting it into action. 
It's saying that when a conflict happens in my relationships, whether it be a, a spouse or whether it be a coworker or whether it be uh, a, a child or whether it be uh, a person that's driving in front of me in the car, when there is something that is going on that causes my heart to feel like anger and resentment and to be shut off in relationship with that person. I must first, one, look at what I might need to repent of and two, be ready to forgive. So being the first to run to repentance and the first to run to forgiveness. So when somebody hurts you, when there's an argument that happens, you can go, oh, oh, let me stop for a minute or maybe walk away or however it is that you do conflict in your family, (laughs) in your house, at your work, in the car while you're driving. And you think, okay, this person still bears the image of, of God, still created for his glory. How do I express the love and faith that I hold in a practical way? I don't wish them harm when they cut me off. I realize that it really was just them being as hungry as I was and cutting me off to get to the fridge. I know that the person at my job who is struggling at home still wants that promotion as much as I do. (laughs) Or that disagreement that we had over this thing because they aren't quite writing the plan that I would want to write is okay. And where is it in my heart that I've hurt them? There are times where that won't be there. So you're just needing to move to forgiveness. But I will tell you, there are times where you'll need to repent as well. And so under the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to do that. Now, the interesting thing about irreverent is he doesn't know anything in the Bible. And so he asked this little teenage girl who's the daughter of Bikes, who's staying at the parish house because she's in trouble, um, What's a story I should read? And she gives him a children's Bible. And she, he finds the story of Solomon with the two mothers who have a baby. Uh, they both have babies and they're sleeping in the same tent. And one of them um, dies. And they take the other baby and they each claim that baby for themselves. And so they're arguing about it, arguing about it. They go before Solomon and Solomon in his wisdom says, well, Cut the baby in half. And then you can each have a half of the baby. And the, the, the real mom cries out, no, 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 she can have it. And that way Solomon knows. And so he just tells them that story in sort of a weird way because he really doesn't know the story. And then he has to leave because he realizes he himself has not done that with somebody and so he wants to make it right. Because remember, he's a mobster with the heart of gold. And he comes back and he sees this huge barbecue that's going on. And these families, the Spencers and the Duncans, are all together. And what they took from it was that they should have a barbecue with the bull. And so they chopped him in half and (laughs) ate him. Now the difference for us is that we can't just have a barbecue to get over it. 
And aren't we glad that Holy Spirit reigns? That God has shown us the way through Christ to live for others. But if you can have a barbecue with somebody, that's a pretty good thing too. Let me pray. God, you know we are broken. You know we are dust. And so we thank you for coming, not only showing us how to live, but living for us so that we could be found in you. And we ask today that if there are those who we are out of relationship with, that if it only be in our hearts or even physically, that you will help us walk in faith and love to restore that. Knowing that you've gone before us to do such a thing. If there's anything within us that we have heard today, if there's anything that I've spoken that is not from you, let it burn up and go away. But whatever has been said that is from you, let it take root in our hearts and bear good fruit and bring you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.